0: Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius podcast where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, listeners. Whenever you're listening to this, thank you for listening to this show. I really love a good interview, and today is a really good interview, and it's with CJ McClanahan. Let me tell you a little bit about him. For over 14 years, CJ has helped hundreds of overachieving professionals achieve record sales And profits. But more importantly, he's taught them how to find more joy and satisfaction in all of their hard work. So, you that's listening, do you relate to not always being satisfied or having that feeling like, Oh, I'm doing so great. Now I'm just going to sit here and chill and enjoy that. Or are you ready to move on to the next thing? Have you achieved one goal? And like the moment you have achieved that, you're ready to do the next. Have you succeeded in one area, but it's not enough. You got to keep going, going, going. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but are you really finding joy and satisfaction in that? We're talking all about that today. A little background on CJ, because we don't really cover much of it at all because I just had to pick. His brain on on a bunch of different things. So I'll tell you here. His professional career began at Arthur Anderson, where he helped large corporations re engineer their business processes. And in his next executive role, he was responsible for managing operations, finance, and IT. Then his last corporate position provided him with the opportunity to manage a sales team in the software industry. So obviously, he's dealing with a lot of people in sales, and most of those people that are in those positions are overachievers, right? They make a goal, they're ready for the next. So it was in 2003 that he ventured out on his own and started an executive coaching firm. And since then, he's coached over 350 companies and thousands of professionals. After only a few years, he noticed that no matter how much success these professionals achieved, very few ever seem to truly enjoy the journey. Do you relate to that at all? It's okay, be honest with yourself. And if you, if you do relate to that, this interview is going to be super helpful for you. Like he talks about, it didn't matter if they were exploding with success, if they doubled their income, if they just became CEO, nothing ever seemed to be enough. And so CJ started to work with these people and he Dramatically helped them. He has a book called The Overachievers' Dilemma, which lays out a proven strategy to help overachievers get more satisfaction and joy in their lives while still achieving all of their professional goals. This led him to start the Two Rule Foundation, and I'm not going to tell you what that is. I'm going to let you listen out for that on the interview. We also talk about my favorite topics productivity time management how to get rid of those distractions you know when you're like i've got to have this day where i'm super productive these are the things that i must get done and somehow you allow yourself to get distracted with text messages from friends from co-workers social media there's just something pulling your attention away he gives us a pretty interesting statistic about how long it actually takes you to get back and submerged into what you were actually working on so those distractions are quite disruptive to your productivity. So lots of great takeaways here. We'll have his website, access to his books, all things CJ. Listen out for all of that. Check it out in our blog post and enjoy the interview. Hello, CJ. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. It's a beautiful day here in San Diego. It's sunny. We're approaching summer. I'm loving it.
1: It is sunny where I am as well. I have a big, giant window I look at on this uh, bunch of trees in my office, and when it's green and sunny, I'm in a much better mood, no doubt about it.
0: Right? I know. I'm that way, too. It's like, I like the coziness of rain and winter, but only for a short period of time. Then I'm like, bring back the sunshine.
1: <laughs> yes, ma'am. No doubt about it.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. You're going to hit on a lot of things that are super important for us entrepreneurs, and I'm just going to jump right into it. As much as many of us would like to say that we don't compare ourselves or that I'm fine with where I'm at. I'm just enjoying the journey. I think there's still for a lot of us, and I'm saying this because I hear it Mm -hmm. in in other people and in conversations, there's still that I'll be happy when there's still that well, so-and-so is doing this. I should be doing that too, or I'm not good enough because she's doing it better You know, there's still that kind of conversation going on, and you're like the person to talk to about this. (laughs) And I'm just hoping to get a different, like, a perspective on that. You know, is this normal? If so, how do we shift it? Is it hurting us? Is it benefiting us? Like, I just have all those questions.
1: So it's just you, unfortunately for you. (laughs) I, I have no idea. No, yeah, I've been coaching and training executives for 15 years, and. We are all wired as overachievers, as entrepreneurs running businesses to wake up every day and to set a big goal and then to go attack it. And as soon as we attack it and as soon as we achieve it, our brain we're wired to say, what's next? Mm-hmm. Now, when you think to yourself, what's the next thing is you look around and you say, okay, what are other people achieving? And then you find that person who's done a little bit more than you. And then you go and achieve what they have. And then you find that next person. And so we're in this never ending competition to make ourselves feel like we're the best because as overachieving entrepreneurs, we're wired to want to be better than everyone else. It's just, it's in our, it's in our DNA.
0: There's that instant feeling of yes, I accomplished that. But like you said, then there's the what next. And it's it's almost like this, oh <laughs> it's
1: like a drug. So in the beginning, winning and achieving your goal, whatever that goal is, is really good and, and the high lasts for a long time. Well then you need bigger and better goals and the high lasts for shorter periods of time. And and it's just not enough. And so you literally become addicted to achievement. And only more and more and more achievement is going to help you to feel this emotion that you want to feel, which is I want to be happy and contentful and full of joy. And there's only so much you can do, but we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing.
0: Why do you think that is happening?
1: I think there's many reasons. And I think it's, it's always been with us throughout mankind, but it's certainly more heightened today in, in 2018. So today we believe that there's only one way to feel good about ourselves, especially us overachieving entrepreneurs. And that feeling is to be successful. And so we ask ourselves, what does success mean? Well, success means achievement. And so we assume that if I'm not achieving, I haven't even earned the right to feel good about myself. Now, we've probably felt that way since 1950, but fast forward to today when every one of us is on our phones or on whatever device we're on every minute of the day, and what are those devices essentially built for? They're built to give us this instant gratification to see what else is going on in the world. And when you go and see what else is going on in the world, you remember all those friends you have that share on their Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever all the difficult times they're having? Of course you don't. All they share is, oh, my son just won this award. Oh, I love the post that are like, I'd like to show how grateful I am for this organization that just gave me an award. It's just, we're, we're constantly patting each other on the back.
0: You see the after the difficult time, like the, the weight loss photos, you know, you see the before picture only when they've already reached the after.
1: <laughs> oh, I would love an overweight person to take one of those selfies in the mirror and then like six months later, not have lost any weight and post another one. <laughs> like, that would be amazing. I'm
0: following that person right now. Who is it? Oh my gosh, I love them. <laughs> So what's
1: happening is we're never satisfied because the world tells us. And by the way, the advertising marketplace is designed for this. We're built on this concept that if the minute you feel satisfied, I can't sell you anything anymore. So we've got to keep pushing and striving and pushing and striving. Or the marketplace can't sell us anything anymore to, to prey on this dissatisfaction that we might have. So if you have a 45 square hundred foot house, how could you possibly live in a house that small? You need a 6,000 square foot house. You know, you have a $2,000 watch, you need a $5,000 watch. What we've reached is we've reached this portion of our society where we're in this abundance. So all of us, not all of us, but the majority of us have more than we need. So when you have more than you need, you have to chase that next thing. And that next thing is typically outdoing everybody else.
0: Some people might say, well, what's so wrong with that? You know, because I have that desire, it's allowed me to accomplish more and more and make a difference in the world because I just keep having bigger and bigger goals and realizing what I'm capable of.
1: Totally. I get it. Yeah. And I I think that's a very valid question. What's wrong with that? Well, my argument is there's nothing wrong with that. If you're enjoying the journey and making a meaningful difference in the lives of other people, is there anything wrong with constantly pushing and achieving absolutely positively nothing wrong with it? Very rarely do I find someone who will tell me, look me in the eye, sober and tell me the following. I love the journey and I don't have gobs and gobs of stress and I'm consistently building really meaningful relationships with the people that mean the most to me. They won't say that to me because they've assumed All of this achievement is more important than enjoying the journey, more important than having somewhat of a balanced lifestyle and more important than building relationships. Can you have both? Of course you can. I very rarely run into people that have both because they believe slowing down, building relationships is going to take away from the achievement.
0: So you've worked one-on-one with these type professionals and entrepreneurs in experiencing more joy and satisfaction from the achievements that they've made how do you do that
1: it starts with redefining success I define success as the extent to which I utilize my unique abilities build meaningful relationships and enjoy the journey and Once you begin to say to yourself and internalize this concept of, oh, I'm waking up every day and doing something I enjoy and I'm building relationships with people I love. I'm somewhat enjoying the journey. That success instead of success is the amount of money I make, my job promotion, the amount of stuff that I have. Once you subtly make that shift, you can then begin to really get more joy and satisfaction out of your life.
0: And, you know, the question, too, is are they still achieving more Or is it, okay, well, now I'm, you know, I feel this joy and satisfaction where I'm at, so I'm not, you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here.
1: (laughs) As well, you should. The question you're asking me is, well, wait a minute, CJ, so I'm going to settle? You want me to just settle? I get it. It, it. And that's a very common question is, why would I just settle? I feel it's almost like I'm giving up and I'm being lazy so I can slow down and enjoy all this joy and satisfaction. I would argue persuasively, I think. You can do both. I can grow my career. I can continually achieve a lot, but I am going to first ensure that I'm building meaningful relationships. I'm doing what it is that I love to do. And I'm enjoying the journey. You can do both. And it doesn't have to be an either or that's a common misconception. So when I tell people you have to redefine success instantly, they think I have to sell my house, quit my job and join the Peace Corps. No, 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 that's not it at all. Why not continue having financial success? It's the right thing to do. At my core, I'm a capitalist. I love the challenge of business. I love helping businesses grow. Can I do that and also enjoy the journey significantly more? Of course I can. It's a very conscious, intentional choice you have to work on.
0: Are you finding that people that hit these, these feelings that they maybe haven't felt before, especially so consistently that they're inspired to give back more.
1: I believe so. Someone will say, well, what does enjoying the journey mean? How do you enjoy the journey? I've done quite a bit of research on this mostly because, and I've told, I tell folks this, all of this, this interview I'm doing with you, my books, my coaching, it's all therapy for me trying to work out issues I've got. So I'm just on a couch all day long. And what I've realized is that in order to feel good about enjoying the journey, you have to live by two fundamental rules. And the first rule is to live gratefully and the second rule is to give generously. And if you live by those two rules, your quality of life goes through the roof. Because once you wake up and you're like, you know what, I feel pretty good about what I've got. In fact, I think I might have more than I need. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start giving some of this away. And the data is unbelievably quantifiably crystal clear giving back improves your mental health, improves your physical health, makes you live longer, improves your relationships. I mean, the, the upside is through the roof.
0: What kind of give back? Because there's the, you know, I can give 10% of my earnings I give to charities or, you know, what, whatever it is that, that you choose. I will just say this like, for me, that's all fine. And I, and, and we do that. We do that as a business. But there are times where it's not even a money thing. Maybe it's a nominal money fee, but it's it's time that you're giving back. And there's so many various ways to give back. We've got a trip with our kids. We're gonna go um, build a house in Mexico with, with our kids for a family. And the primary reason for that was There's so many charities and there's so many things that happen at school in terms of, hey guys, get together some clothes that you don't need anymore. We're going to give it to a family or it's Christmas time. We're going to donate some presents. We're going to donate meals. We're going to do all these things, but they never see the families. They don't know. They can't really see the impact they're making. It just sounds like a nice thing. And it is a nice thing. I guess my question is, For me, it's more about the time and and actually interacting with the people that you're giving back to. And that can be, that can be sometimes just volunteering your time to help or be a mentor to somebody. I guess what becomes a challenge for people is that that is time. That's time that they could be working on their business, doing something else that they don't really want to have to put that time to giving back.
1: Right. Everyone's got a resource that is precious to them, whether it's money or time, whatever it ends up being. But in theory, those are our two greatest resources. Your question is, which one is more important or should I give them both or which one has a greater impact? Yeah. And the answer is, of course, it depends. But I will tell you this, it's far too easy to write a check or give a credit card. It's far too easy. And if you're not investing yourself in a meaningful way where you see the change that's taking place, what's not going to happen is you're not going to change your heart. And if you don't change your boy, that is a real touchy feely thing there. But if you don't change yeah. your heart, you're not going to change your habits. If you don't change your habits, then what you're going to be is you're going to be, be the person who does the ice bucket challenge and gives away $50. And as soon as you're done patting yourself on the back, you're going to realize you're going to go back to the exact same way you used to live. And in order to change your, your habits and to get the full real benefit of, of this transformation, you got to give it a meaningful way. And that is almost always time and money.
0: No, that's true, and that makes that makes sense.
1: I've never built a house like you're getting ready to do, but I know many people who have, and they will just tell me uh, it is completely life transformational because you see, I mean, you will be a, around a level of gratitude from people who have such a sliver of what we have, and you will say to yourself that you'll come back to the to your home and you'll be like, I mean, I have a refrigerator full of food, and I have air conditioning, and I have a car, and I mean, I can do, and these people have nothing. And it just transforms the way you think about life and changes perspective. And that paradigm shift is life changing.
0: What are some of the ways that us overachievers, entrepreneurs, professionals can? can really get into that space of feeling grateful. And this isn't, you know, it's not a new concept of, you know, wake up in the morning and like think of the things that you're grateful for. I do that before I get out of bed. I used to write it, but now I just kind of do it in my, as I'm laying there. And I don't get out of bed until I think of those, those three things. And it's just, it's, it's also an excuse to lay in bed a little bit longer and have right. some no. really good thoughts and while no. you're, while you're still kind of waking up. But, um, I mean, and I will find, I've told my kids to do this. It's not just, I'm grateful I have a house to live in. I mean, it can be that I'm grateful for my family. It's like getting super specific. Sometimes it's like, I'm so grateful for that, you know, private conversation I had with my daughter last night, or I'm so grateful for cuddles this morning. I'm so grateful, you know, whatever it is. What are some other ways that, you know, these people with busy minds active all the time, thinking about what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? How can they like kind of slow down, reduce stress and feel that gratitude?
1: It's crazy hard. I mean, it is bananas hard. Our marketplace, our society screams more and more and more and more. You don't have enough. You don't have enough. So you've got to combat it. And the way I think about it is this. Our brain is basically a computer. And what we put into our brain is going to shape the way we feel about life. So you've got to be conscious and intentional about putting more gratitude in your brain than scarcity thoughts now how do you do that well waking up before you wake up and, and doing three things you're grateful for is a great way saying a prayer before you uh eat your meal is a great way being intentional about the language that you use so hey how's your week and someone will say that's ah, okay my answer is i'm blessed it's just i'm blessed now what does that mean to me it just means i really have a ton going on in a very positive way in my life and once you do that enough speaking, you begin to feel more grateful and then you begin to think more gratefully. Another way to do it is to read books about gratitude, watch uh, videos about gratitude. You just have to inundate your brain with things that are consistently reminding you about how much you've been given. There's not enough. You just got to do it over and over and over again because the world is going to hit you with a million things that say you don't have enough. You got to work on it. Yeah, And one one, one other tactical thing, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, that I do too, is when I'm beginning to feel like my life isn't going the way I want it to, and I'm beginning to throw myself a pity party, which is like two to three days a week, unfortunately, (laughs) I literally will say to myself, who needs to hear from me today? And I will go through my mental Rolodex and I will think of a friend who's being challenged by someone, someone who needs a kind word for me. And it instantly changes my perspective and takes my worry away from myself. And it reminds me my blessings. And I call that person to reach out to them and say, what can I do to help you?
0: That is the best advice. It just shifts everything off of yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's and I and we are at least I am a very selfish person. It's a it's a me. You know, you could ask my wife It is the world revolves around me. The minute I begin to feel that way, I'm like, "Listen, you've got to take it off yourself and look to help others."
0: Speaking of being selfish, I mean, isn't it sometimes okay to be selfish?
1: Well, all right, let, let's let's go down that path. <laughs> Just a minute. Oh, well, wait right? a minute. Might as well go down that path. Okay. Yeah. So, and this is another topic for another day, but I believe charitable giving is broken in our society, and. I actually believe the way to raise more money is to be more selfish. And here's where I'm going with this. If I didn't feel good when I gave, I wouldn't do it. I was receiving a bunch of pats on the back for some volunteer work and money raising stuff I had done for a board of directors a while back. And, you know, I'm getting all of this accolades. And I said, before we go on, I have to let you people know something. I do this because it makes me feel good. If it didn't, I'd stop. So I'm actually being selfish when I do good. The minute we can help, especially these hard-charging, overachieving entrepreneurs, the minute we can recognize that, listen, I wanna change the way we think about this. I don't want you to give to be a good person. I want you to give because it's gonna have a huge upside to you. Be selfish. I think we can change the way people think about giving. So instead of it being this thing where I'm giving this stuff to other people to be this do-gooder, I'm going to be selfish because I'm wired to feel great when I do things for other people. So that's the way I think about being selfish.
0: I love that. And my uh, grandmother, I, I never actually met her. She passed away before I was born. But my father's mother used to always say, I am selfish because it makes me feel so good to give to others.
1: She's right. I mean, we are absolutely wired that way. And there's quite a bit of data on that, too. We're absolutely wired that way. It's just hard. It's hard to have faith that that's the way it
0: works. Yeah. Well, and so it just makes so much sense when you say, you know, when you have those moments where you're all wrapped up in your world and, you know, what's wrong with it and feeling bad. I mean, obviously, what you want, what you really want is to feel good. And sometimes a lot of people go towards the wrong things to get that instant you know hit of dopamine or whatever it is and really it feels so good to go and give back because yeah, selfishly you're like wow i just made somebody else feel better and that feels like better than anything
1: yeah so you're going to mexico to build a house now when you go whether it's a day or two or three or five or whatever it ends up being that is time where you could go on a different type of vacation to a resort somewhere or something <laughs> like that and part of you and part of your brain is saying wait a minute I'm going to go and be dusty and dirty and work versus a vacation where I can enjoy it myself and I can be pampered. But what will happen is you will come back from this break and go, I enjoyed that more than any vacation. Yes. But it's hard for us to truly believe that and have faith in that. And I speak about this to people and organizations all the time. And some days I don't believe it. Some days I don't think, well, wait a minute, I've got this extra money, I'm going to give it to someone in need, but that's not allowing me to buy something I think, and I'm air quoting this, I think is going to make me happier. Right. It's a faith that I work on on a day-to-day basis because it's tricky.
0: I don't know if you know this about me, but I love time management. Productivity is like, I I like, I thrive on that. So I'm always wanting to learn, you know, what are better ways for me to manage my time, be more productive. And especially one of a big weakness of mine is distractions. Distractions having, you know, a set time where it's like okay, this is what I'm going to be focused on, but still going oops, you know, so and so from the office texted me or this person on my team needs this or that and dropping everything to, you know, service that or it's oh, you got a Facebook like or whatever it is, you know, the, the silly things. And sometimes it's like there's days where it's like, well, I did I did pretty good and I'm only going to answer my emails once today. And then there's those days where it's like you're checking every 10 minutes. So, I'd love to hear your advice on the distractions and also, you know, tips on time management and productivity.
1: Two or three quick thoughts. The first thought is before you can manage time more effectively, you have to have a a shift in your perspective and your paradigm. And the shift is this, you are never getting it all done. Never. You'll never (laughs) get caught up you're never going to drive home and be like, man, I'm glad the day ended. I'm caught up. You're never going to put your head on the pillow on a Sunday night and, and look at your spouse and say, you know what, honey? I'm glad Sunday ended because all the house projects are done. It will never, ever happen. <laughs> can I? Can you and I agree on that?
0: You know what? That That is such a relief to hear you say that because there's such guilt with not getting oh, it done. <laughs>
1: And the minute what's interesting is the minute you take that deep deep breath and you're like, oh, that's right. I'm not getting caught up. Then all of a sudden your brain goes to what must be done, because if everything is important, nothing's important. So now now that I realize today is going to end and only 10 out of my 40 things are going to be done, which 30 aren't important. So that's the first key, because until you understand the paradigm shift, you're not going to truly prioritize. You're going to think. The way to get more done is to work harder and faster. Right. If it we're 1950 and you're that Lucille Ball character trying to make the chocolates real fast, I mean, maybe that's that works. 2018, outworking people is not work. It just this it does not compute anymore. So, first key is to just shift the paradigm. Second key is to recognize that the brain must focus. There's quite a bit of data out here that says when you are working on something that requires concentration and you're distracted even for two seconds. It takes your brain between 7 and 21 minutes to get back to the same level of concentration. You know that to be true because you've worked late at night or early in the morning when no one's around and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how much I just got done. Well, there's a reason for that. No one's bugging you. Now, What we've been convinced by our modern society in open office floor plans that we should be collaborating with everyone we know every single second of the day because (laughs) we can Right? Because... Technology allows us to be using Slack and all of these other tools where we need to be communicating. And we've convinced ourselves the more accessible I am to the world, to information, to people, the more I'm going to get done in my job. And the truth is that's completely wrong because professionals, entrepreneurs, we have to find time to focus. And the only way to find time to focus is to reduce distractions. There's three distractions to reduce one is people. So if you're in an office and you got that guy who wants to tell you how good his kids are at soccer or basketball or football and he wanders around the office all day telling stories, you got to avoid that person. Now I'm not saying you're not friends. Right. I'm saying you have to ensure that there is a time when you are not going to allow people to interrupt you nonstop because all of it, I'm assuming you're a nice person. Is that true? Yes. Okay, so you're a nice person, I'm a nice person. So if someone knocks on my door and says, you got a minute, I'm always going to say yes. I'm not a jerk. And I have to figure out a way to reduce those interruptions. Now, how do you do that? There's a million different ways. But just I got a crazy idea. Shut the door, right? If you have an office, shut the door. It's going to seem insane, but do it. If you don't have an office and you are in one of these open office environments, put headphones on and just let people know, listen, if I got my headphones on in the middle of something super important and see what happens, you're going to get a little bit more done because people will stop bothering you. The second distraction that's a killer is your telephone. And your phone is a distraction because obviously you see who's calling and then you respond to texts back and forth. Personally, I don't respond back to texts. That's not true. I, I may I sound like a jerk. I don't respond <laughs> immediately. Back
0: right, right.
1: I just don't. Uh, of course, there are times, I suppose, if I'm sitting at one of my son's baseball games and I got nothing else to do, I will, but. I don't allow other people to ding me every second of every day to get right back to me. Now, people will say, well, you don't understand. I've got clients who need me. If your client, if your client relationship is significantly affected by the fact you didn't respond to a text immediately, that's not a good client. OK, yeah. that is that's a terrible client who's just who's treating you terribly. And then the killer, the one that is really killing is email. And the reason email is such a killer is because we manage our work by it sometimes. And when it's on your screen, like if my email is off right now, I'm looking at the screen. If my email was on and a little email popped up at the bottom of my screen, I have to be clear about something. I'm no longer in this interview with you because all I can think about is I wonder who's emailed me. I can't wait to check my emails. I'm addicted to it. And so you have to reduce those three distractions. Oh, by the way, if any listener today has two monitors and one of your monitors on a Microsoft Outlook or Gmail all day long, I mean, I would rather someone sat and squirted you with a squirt gun in the face all day long. <laughs> it is, you're killing your productivity with one monitor on email all day long. Right, you can, never
0: quit. you can never be submerged in something, right, when you're going back no. and forth, right?
1: It's terrible. And so, so then I ask this question, what percentage of our emails need to be responded to immediately? And when I ask that in front of audiences, it's never more than like 1%. Yeah. Well, why in God's green earth do we have our email open all the time? Doesn't make any sense. Shut it down. And if you do these simple things, you shift that paradigm and you recognize that I know I'm not going to get caught up. And then I say, okay, how do I get the most done? Well, I'm going to really focus on what's important by reducing distractions. You do those two subtle things. You don't have to buy the most complex planning system for your PC. You don't have to have red, yellow, green on everything. Just do those two things. Your productivity will shoot through the roof now what will happen is you'll actually get a little depressed when you begin to do this. And the reason is we have become addicted to interaction to disruptions and it does release dopamine and serotonin. So when you stop getting distracted every two seconds, I've had some clients say, I was just downed. that's because you're not filling your brain with all that, but you're getting so much more done. And it's so much more gratifying to have a lot more done. So you can go to home at night. You don't have to take your goofy laptop home every single night and open it up when the kids go to bed. You right. can actually watch some terrible television on Netflix. You yes. can do something like
0: that. I love that. I know the times when I'm just like, nope, not not getting distracted at all. And I'm I'm super productive. I'm hoping that, you know, listeners listening to this are going, Yeah, that's me. It's just so true. So I've blocked out time where I, you know, go, okay, these are the projects I'm gonna work on and I'll block them out of my calendar. What I used to do was leave my calendar open. So if anybody needed to book a meeting, they could. And then I would just have a list of the things that I needed to do. And whenever I had time, I would do it. And that just didn't work because things never got done. So I literally had to block time on the calendar or I'd have my assistant. I would create this spreadsheet of like, here are the things I need to do. Here's how long it's going to take to do it. Just fill my calendar and nobody can book meetings then. But there's guilt that comes with that. Because then there's time where people are like, gosh, there's nothing, you know, there's no time for, I wasn't able to get, you know, a meeting with you until Friday or, <laughs> <and>
1: I'm like. <laughs> Here's a made up statistic, okay? of the meetings your people think they need to have with you are really important. The other 75%, they are not that important. It's amazing if we don't allow people to keep stealing our time, guess what they're able to do? They figure things out on their own. Now, is that always true? Of course not. I don't want to be completely inaccessible, but I want to challenge people to get things done without me always as the leader because I want to empower my people to get better.
0: Exactly. And there's so many things that can be achieved with a really succinct email, even just a voice message. It is kind of funny how there's so many meetings being made. And at the end of an hour, you realize, okay, you could have just sent me an email about the three things that I'm going to do and the three things you're going to do.
1: I'm going to increase your meeting productivity by 25% right now. Do not allow people to bring their phones to meetings. Just don't. Just stop it. Because I bring a phone to a meeting, I'm on it because I'm, I'm so addicted to it. It's ridiculous. I got to leave it in another room.
0: Do you sleep with your phone next to you?
1: No, I do not. I'm one of the least addicted to phone people when I'm home of anyone I know. I just don't feel the need to check it as long as I keep it away from me. So I, I do not keep it next to me at night. And that is a terrible habit to get into.
0: Yes. Oh, I know. I think I, I mean, everyone I know does that, though. They use it for their alarm. They It's the first thing they check when they wake up in the morning, sometimes in the middle of the night, just from tossing and turning.
1: Do not keep it near your bed. Go Google. Should I keep my phone near my yeah, bed? Exactly. There's a hundred <laughs> studies that have been done that say it's bad for you. just don't.
0: But. Speaking of that, what is your, you know, I'm sure every day is different, but what is a typical, you know, morning or evening routine for you?
1: Okay. So you would think every day is different, but I'm such a creature of habit. It's borderline embarrassing. So let's just say this is a work week. I get up at five. Shower, I don't have any hair. So I'm in and out of the shower pretty quickly. I go to a bagel place, the same bagel place I've been going to for 17 years. I have a cup of coffee and a shake that I made that's vegetable shake. I then go to the office, pray, meditate, check my email. And then by 8am, I'm ready to hit the day running. And I've been doing that, I mean, forever. And it's, I'm, it's a little boring, I get it, but I'm very disciplined and it lets my day start effectively each day. Now, nighttime, what's my nighttime routine? Well, you know, I got two kids. So my nighttime routine involves children quite a bit. And that is a little sporadic all over the place, but I do have one nighttime routine. So before I drift off to sleep, I typically almost always watch some awful television on Netflix.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: And I want your listeners to write down, do not watch awful television. (laughs) That is not a habit I'm proud of. But I do it. I just do it.
0: You know, it's funny you're saying that because I remember studies used to say, you know, don't watch TV before you go to bed or things like that. But I took my son and daughter recently to hear an author, pretty well known author, who writes all about social media, kids being on social media and you know, what's the proper age to have social media, what what kind of things should they be doing with devices, when devices are good, when they're dangerous, that type of thing. And one thing that she said was, you know, a lot of us what we don't do anymore is just watch TV and let our minds just drift where we're not having to engage. We're just letting it just kind of, you know, decompress. And I thought, wow, that's so true. So many of us need that just to decompress and not have to think about other things. But so many of us are still on the phone getting this you know the arm cramp in our because we're holding the phone so long at that weird angle. and we're either engaged in texting, we're engaged in a game that we're playing or engaged on social media and liking or posting or whatever it is. So your brain is still you know active, active, active. I think it's awesome because I love just watching some good drama. You know?
1: Oh, yeah. And I don't get it why people watch reality TV. The last thing I want is reality when I'm watching TV. I want want as stupid as humanly possible.
0: Oh, yeah. Give me a good episode of Billions or The Affair. I love like, you know, just a a meaty show like that where I'm just like, oh, this is so good. And now I can uh, go to sleep. (laughs) Yes. Amen. Yes. I love it. Amen. This has been so much fun. I would love to send our listeners to get more information about you. I know you have books. I know there's so much more to CJ than we even got to touch on here. But um, where can I send them?
1: You betcha. You, you can send them to CJMcClanahan.com or if that's too many letters, which it typically is, you just go to coach cj.com and that's my website where you can listen to my podcast and read about my stuff I do and I think I got some videos on there and then my books are all on there and that sort of thing as well
0: awesome we'll have links to all of that we also have um you know your your facebook your twitter all kinds of ways to follow you we'll make sure that we post all of those things. You talked about my favorite topics. So thank you so much. This is so great. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. You have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You're home for kick butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future, genius guests.